0: And welcome to episode 194 of Effect. We are Aha. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Matthew. And you are Alan Partridge. Is that what you're saying?
0: (laughs) No, I'm not Alan Partridge. Uh, (laughs) I am... Yeah, well, okay. Um, It's a shit title anyway, isn't it, actually? But... um, (laughs) It's uh, um, It's okay, you wrote it. It it, it, it... (laughs) is... no i didn't you did i did agree to no, that I fine. Did. so uh but um it, it uh it all will become it'll make sense all will become clear later on anyway tell us what's happening today yeah matthew
1: well frankly not much
0: um <laughs> yeah so a- thanks for listening uh see you next time bye
1: <laughs> so we ought to say first of all apologies this is coming out a week late and it's coming out a week late because we did intend to record this last weekend. But frankly, Dave, we were having too much fun.
0: We were. We? we were. But yeah, we thought about doing it on Friday. and then we were, But we were too busy trying to learn some bloody game that you brought. And then um, <laughs> it, it came around to like Sunday evening. We thought, oh, we didn't record anything. Can we be bothered? And it was quite late. And we thought, nah, let's go and have a...
1: And we were quite drunk. Let's go and have a um, glass
0: of whiskey or a glass of port instead.
1: Yes, so we did. So we said, we just said, ah, oh, we'll do it next weekend. Me entirely forgetting that next weekend, which is now actually today, is my wedding anniversary. So, yes. um, well,
0: and me also forgetting that so, today, yeah. as in now, is the uh, the World Cup final of the T Twenty tournament, which England are playing in. So I've got that. Uh, I've got that on in the corner, keeping track. Too. And at the moment, in Pakistan are one hundred and eighteen for four. After fifteen, nearly sixteen overs. So it's a pretty good bowling performance by England so far. Anyway, <laughs> I have
1: no idea what you're talking about. Let's get on with what's happening in the rest of the yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, I we know was... we've got space to fill, but we don't need to fill it with this <laughs>
0: <laughs> comedy gold <laughs> or banter. This is, yeah, this is, this is well, this is golden banter. This is what people listen to us for. Just bland. This is what people listen to us for Don't listen
1: to us for any of the gaming no. And some of them indeed support us in a Patreon um, And I haven't got a new patron to welcome this week But I have got a returning patron Excellent And um, it's, a, it's a patron who, who's been through a lot So actually I just want to say welcome back to Bill Bill Payne um, Who is, uh, yes, returning to our shores Um We're very pleased to have you back on, uh, well, on the Patronage, but also on the Discord. So thank you.
0: Cool. Indeed.
1: Actually, that's the thing I meant to say. Then we we talk about, yeah, sorry. So that's a bit of an early thing. Now, (laughs) what's happening in the rest of the program is we're going to be talking about the world of gaming, and we've got a lot to talk about there. And then we are going to be talking about, it says here, money, money, money. For Alien, so um, that's your homework from last week, uh, and I'll be very interested to hear it.
0: Indeed. So,
1: mm, yeah, so, and now certain things about that title are coming together.
0: <laughs> mm. yeah, come on, don't for, don't, don't, don't foreshadow the really really funny joke that I've done at the beginning of my essay. Okay, come on, don't spoil no, it. now. I'm
1: not foreshadowing it, Dave. I'm spoiling it,
0: <laughs> bastard. Bastard, you just spoil it. <laughs> you just spoil uh, everything, uh, don't you? You just spoil everything in mine. It's just an outrage. <laughs>
1: Let's cut ahead to the world of gaming, shall Go we? Go on
0: then, yes. You've got a few things you wanted to talk about. And well,
1: first of all, Mercy of the Icons Part 3 is finally out on pre-order.
0: It is. So I, I'm i not It's been it. a long time It has coming. been a long time, it has been. But it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's a big, as far as I understand, it's a big, meaty, complex story uh, in three big parts, which... You know, maybe it just needed the time to uh, to to be put together properly. So, I I I, mean, I can forgive them. I mean, we've had quite a hiatus from our Monday night Coriolis campaign whilst we've been waiting for this to arrive, which which has been fine. Actually, I, I you know, because um, you know when we started that that pause, we kind of knew it was coming. So even though we've had to wait a few months for it since we paused the campaign. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I we, we I weren't just waiting for the campaign. We we and we we had started, and we will indeed finish before we start the campaign. Um, a uh, another intervening scenario. Yeah. Um, and we could have done more. I one of the reasons why we paused is we were particularly busy at the time. But then one of the reasons why we extended that pause is I got a job. And I was going to be making up a bunch of interim scenarios, and frankly, I have not had the time nor the brain power yeah. to do that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what's happened. But we we are still you will you will soon discover the truth of Station Eighteen before we move on to the main campaign. Yeah. Cool. Um, actually, that's one of the interesting things. So you haven't bought it.
0: No, and I, I have. I haven't bought it. I mean, I'm, I'm 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 very unlikely to ever run it, and I am going to play yeah. it. So I didn't want to get it and then be tempted to look at it and kind of spoil yep spoil Absolutely, so. That's
1: absolutely worthy. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and you do get, if you pre-order it now, you get a very draft beta PDF. Not all the illustrations are done,
0: uh, okay. uh, particularly yeah.
1: maps and stuff like that. Um, but uh, reading that PDF, there are a couple of things. I just want to hark back to episode whatever we'll put a link in the show notes when i worked out which episode it was when i was talking about what could you do if you've come to the end of book two and you're waiting for book three right and i made a bunch of suggestions there and i'm really pleased to say that if i had not been working and had turned those into adventures they would all have fitted and somewhat foreshadowed some of the events in book three so oh, okay. um yeah uh, I reckon they're good ideas. And if you're stringing your campaign out and spreading the seeds of Mercy of the Icon throughout a, you know, a long weekly campaign or something where you're playing four hours a week and you've got plenty of time to fill, um, going back to that episode, which is well, but links to the show notes, would be a good idea. I'm quite chuffed mm-hmm. thinking that the campaign I ran in my head while we've been taking a bit of a hiatus was actually really good. And it would have made a lot of sense Yeah. when you're playing this bit of the campaign.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. Um,
1: so that's good. Uh, one thing, though, that I'm not very happy with, with the PDF, without giving any spoilers away, obviously, is... Ricard and Troya does this thing, and he, he was doing it in book two as well. He's probably doing it a little bit in book three, but I noticed it less... Sorry,
0: in book one. Book one, one yeah.
1: But I noticed it less in that it somewhat pissed me off in book two and it's pissing me off even more in book three. And <laughs> that is he awards the GM darkness points in an entirely frivolous and
0: arbitrary, frankly
1: no. arbitrary fashion. And I just want to actually, I'm just going to go off on a bit of a rant. If you want to sit back and, you know, make yourself a cup of tea or
0: something while <laughs> okay. I about this, Dave. Go on then. I'll, I'll give you so the I'll principle you some of space. darkness
1: points the principle of darkness points is they are gm is being a get points effectively as the rules are written you will never run out of ammo unless i spend a darkness point to say ha ha you've run out of ammo just when you were going to shoot the big boss ha ha up yours nothing you can do about it right that is the principle of the darkness
0: yeah and that's always been my the the one little niggle with coriolis about how a gm spends (laughs) darkness points without coming across as a total shit
1: yeah. So, uh, but that is rules as written. How it goes. I mean, it specifically mentions that running out of ammo thing. And that's yeah. not a thing Although, I generally do. No. Uh,
0: Although I think it's interesting though, because I guess the counter argument is that well, you've pushed, so you've created this darkness, and I'm going to use it. So it's your own fault, players. Yeah. Which I think well, exactly. Yeah, might so be, that's might be so, pertinent yeah, to your to your problem here because you've ranted about this before. I think go on. <laughs>
1: yeah it it is it is it is the thing you push your role, which in this universe means you pray to the icons and you you know when you do that, you know you're taking on a bit of karma. when the icons help you out this time, at some point something shitty is gonna happen there is down the line. Yeah. that is for me part of the universe and you know, as you're long on. as I don't make you run out of ammo too often, that's the way the game works, and that's the game that we have enjoyed for blooming years now. <laughs> yes, um, and I mean it may be different for some groups, but for for you, it never discourages you from pushing.
0: No, no.
1: Yeah, I mean sometimes, sometimes it makes you think twice about pushing when I've got a load of darkness points. Well, I think and you I don't mean, want
0: to give me more. Well, I think when you've got loads, it almost, um, it you know, it's all it almost becomes easier to push. Because you think when well, you've already got fifteen, yeah. so what's the difference between fifteen and sixteen, or sixteen and seventeen? And particularly if we're exactly. in a, if we're in a tight spot, then that tight that immediacy, that tight spot, and needing to push a dice roll, I think it's kind of almost inevitable that you are going to push in that in that situation, knowing full well that there are problems coming. And I mean, we did do in one yeah. of in, in our in the Yaffet uh, Otho campaign, you know, you did run a scene deliberately and tell, told us at the start. That you were going to try and burn through all your darkness points in that scene. Now, naturally enough, yes, we were all critically wounded and defeated in that scene. Even though we nearly made it away a couple of times, we did. I think we did pretty well considering the the, the tsunami yeah, of darkness I just, we I had just to deal produced
1: with. reinforcements with yeah. those darkness points again yeah. and again and again. So,
0: so you were playing and rules as written foolishly. Because, you kept praying to defeat the reinforcements. Yeah, but we had no choice. So, so I, I, it was it was exciting and it was good. But it was, it, the outcome was inevitable for us, I think. That yeah. At some point, we either, yeah. had, well, to, we I either guess, had to surrender. I guess you could have or, um, um, surrendered. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we did surrender when we couldn't really fight on anymore without getting killed. And we were quite yeah. lucky not to have one of us killed at that point, I think. But so that was good. I and the rules written there worked nicely. Um, it was a pretty... It was a... So I, th- I think that the, the, the thing I would comment there is... In most role-playing games, where you have a scene or a situation, as a player, you always feel like the GM has given you a way of winning. And there is a if you do something right or you do something really exciting or great role-playing or something, then the GM is gonna say, Okay, I'm gonna let them have that and okay, you win. That's when you when you play it this way and the GM is determined to spend those darkness points, there is no you know, the way of winning kind of changes or you find a way of winning and the GM shuts it off by throwing some more darkness points at you and and so it's, it's very exciting but it, it it was it was one of the rare times where I've been in a scene and a, and, a, and an encounter where I thought it felt like the outcome was inevitable that we were going to lose one way or the other there was you know there was no GM right answer you know to to, to allow us no. to win and, and, and that's good in one sense. I, I could understand a lot of players not enjoying that. And you've put me into a no-win situation, so mm, what the hell, this is not fair kind of thing. But once in a while, I think it works really well. If you did it every week in Coriolis, because we generated a lot of darkness points, then it would probably become a bit tiresome after a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, the point I want to make, though, and and in fact, actually, I can make a point and also contrast that. So a similar thing happened. Do you remember with the monster at the end of book one? Spoilers. Uh,
0: um, yes.
1: So book one of Mercy of the Icons, you're fighting a kind of one-dimensional monster with that is Havima. really hard to kill. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you got Havima with you. Um, and it's fueled entirely by darkness points. Yeah. And there's definitely a, there was a little bit there of you spending darkness points to defeat it. And then of course, you know, you, you, you create a darkness point to defeat it. It gets a little bit stronger because it's got a darkness point. Mm-hmm. But in the end you did defeat that one. That wasn't, you know, there was, I did run out of darkness points in the end Yeah, and, and you defeated the monster and that's great. You know, um, we've kind uh, of, we kind, kind, of kind of paid our dues. Threat.
0: We've taken the pain for paying our dues and we were able to still come through successfully.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't a, by any means an unwinnable situation. Yeah. But kind of my broader point is I had enough darkness points then. That wasn't too few. You know, the monster wasn't too hard to defeat because I only had a few darkness points. Yeah. I've never felt like I haven't had enough darkness points and when I've run out of darkness points on a thing as a GM it's it felt narratively the right time for that darkness point fueled whatever, so,
0: to go away. How many times have you run out of darkness points GMing us? I mean, um,
1: well, very often, I have to say, in in two or three times, when something has happened, I've spent all the darkness points.
0: Right, okay, yeah.
1: So, for example, at the end of book two, spoilers, don't mention what happens at the end of book two. <laughs> That's. I, th- I think that clears your darkness account. That's right? fair enough. Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, and, and similarly, actually, Uh, even though I had nowhere near run out of darkness points when I was determined to spend them all, when you woke up in the Yafet campaign on a prison planet because you'd been held in... You'd been surrendered and I'd sent you to prison. I I cleared your, your darkness point account then and started fresh. Right, yeah. So I have, you know, I've given up all my darkness points sometimes. And sometimes there have been times where a thing is fueled by darkness points and, you know, I've gone down to zero and and then the thing becomes defeatable yes in a, in a few occasions not just that monster one and that but as i say when that happens it feels right i've never gone oh shit we can't really you know give you a real threat this time because i've got no darkness points to do it yeah. never yeah. never have i run out of darkness points so why i mean one of the things that slightly pisses me off about the way ricard writes um w- we ought to say, Dave. We're thinking of inviting Ricardo the next program here, so maybe it's good that I'm saying all this in this episode, so I don't just <laughs> spend all of next time ranting about Ricard. darkness
0: points. But, yeah.
1: But one of the things he does is at the beginning of every scenario or, or every act in the um, in the Mercy of the Icons, he says, "Give give yourself enough, you know, a darkness point for every player you've got, or something like that." And yeah. Why I've got I've got plenty. I don't need any more. But then, what really pisses me off is at various points throughout the adventure, he says, though this spooky adventure gives you some darkness points. And at one particular point, in fact, he says, if you know this is a really spooky thing, and if nobody prays to the icons in your play, praying party, give yourself some darkness points. And I'm going, but hold on, no, no prayer. Prior to the Icons actually generates darkness points yeah. within this game system. Why would anybody think of being... And, and all these... When I've got into the habit of when a spooky thing happens, I, I throw a couple of darkness points back out, back out you, yeah. back into the pool, out, out of my pool and into the general pool, as it were, just to drive home this was a spooky thing that happened. That's, yeah. that's what we do in these games. When I drop a darkness point, I might occasionally even drop a darkness point and, and you guys go,
0: Oh Ooh, God, wh- what's he dropping? Why did you do that for? Yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. 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 And,
1: and that's cool. You know that when you are spooked, it costs me, da- it cost me darkness points to spook you. Yeah. It does not in my philosophy ever give me darkness points when you are spooked.
0: Yeah. I think there's definitely, and yet, a, yeah. the
1: way the car plays it, it does.
0: Yeah. I think there's definitely a thing. So, you know, uh, the, the advantage of being able to push, you know, comes at a cost and that cost is that you generate mm. darkness points now if you negotiate the scenario without pushing you put yourself at a disadvantage to do that and mm-hmm. therefore the you know the bonus about that the bonus, the bonus of doing that is that you haven't built up a darkness pool that you can then use against them if you do that and you struggle yeah. through it, and then the gm goes ha, ha i've got five darkness points anyway screw you it's like all right then well what was the point of Trying to role-play yeah, I mean, without praying. It entirely um,
1: undermines that economy yeah. of, you know, what I like about us. you know, it's it's clunky compared to a lot of the other systems, the push mechanisms and push costs that have developed since, since it started. It's clunky, but it does have a thing in that, you know, success early in the story builds pain, if you like, later in the story, which is kind of the way that narrative works yeah. in and a lot of Yeah. And genre it's
0: also it, it's kind of the easy road to success. So by pushing, yeah. you are making a deal with the gods to give you a bonus and make life easier for you. But that comes at a cost. It's like you know making a deal with selling your soul yeah. to the devil. Um, you have to pay for it at some point. And I think you know you'll you get players who choose not to push you know, which I think is great. Um, in, in my Spectral Corsair campaign, Dean played a character from... all oh, from one of the... Foundation? From, from the... No, from no. one of the more atheist ones. No, no, no. He was from... Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Zalos B. And he was a... Oh,
1: right, right, yeah.
0: And he was... Uh, he'd totally thrown off the Zalosian philosophy and had thrown off the gods completely. So he never prayed. So my 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 aim in the campaign was to put him in a position where it was important enough for him to actually pray and that was great mm-hmm. it took ages i did get him there in the end where he prayed to save somebody else's life so basically blew away his whole philosophy in order to save somebody but it was great but he took he made that choice um and gave himself yeah. a disadvantage and and in some ways gave gave himself took took away from you know like um willingly Sort of denied himself the opportunity of pushing, which is fun as a player it's fun to push your dice rolls and do that so you know there's quite a lot to it if you you know if you choose not to do it but I think you know darkness points can work really well you know and i and i I love them if it's a gm you can spend some of them on like you say spookiness or things happening so i, I mm. used to, I used to spend them for because the ship was was possessed. Uh, I used to have the ship have a bit of agency once in a while, usually after they'd done something or, you know, a particular example I always remember was they, they were, they, some bad guys tried to board their ship and they defeated them and they had one of them trapped in an airlock and they were debating about whether to chuck him into space or not. And after a long debate, you know what we're like, um, uh, a long debate, they decided to let him live. But then I spent a darkness point and had the ship just open the outer airlock because, no, this guy attacked me. I'm not having him live. Um, and they loved that. It was just uh, a use of darkness points, which didn't really matter in mechanical terms, but just added a bit to the story. So I think there is, a, there is, you know, you can use them really well, and they can be a great driver and a great bonus to the game. But mechanically, as written, like you said at the right at the start, they are just piss on your player cards, effectively, or points. Yeah um
1: and and so so yeah I, I i'm vehemently against uh awarding myself as gm extra darkness points and vehemently vehemently against mm-hmm. when something spooky happens the gm gets a sp- darkness point that goes entirely against my philosophy as yeah. you say it's great to make a spooky thing happen even if it has minimal effect on the story you know the 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 actual um you know the action in the story even if yeah. it's got minimal effect on that you drop a darkness points and and the players go oh shit that's significant you know yes um,
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: and it, yeah, uh, so uh, and i like it cuz again it's almost like the gods playing with them a little bit
1: yeah yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely you, you know what goes around comes around
0: yeah for that sure. is the
1: principle of darkness point not Oh, we're just going to dump a bunch of darkness points on you because I'm a get as a GM, and you're my players, you're you, my
0: victims. You are a get as a GM, and that's that's a, that's the, the, the yeah. But the I'm not that much district. of a get
1: that I take a handful of darkness points out of my darkness point ball or out of your darkness point ball and add them to mine just, just because I can.
0: Aha, yeah, true. <laughs> go, aha, aha, indeed.
1: <laughs> and that's the reason that we've got that crane. Finally, we possibly, get there. possibly,
0: possibly. So, um the, the campaign itself have you got any other sort of initial thoughts so I mean because I've I've, um, re- I've read the blurb I've read that there are kind of three sort of mini campaigns within the major campaign I I have a slight concern about campaigns that are designed where something has to happen for the third act and in this one I need, I No, I mean this isn't really spoiling. If you've looked at it, then you'll see they're talking about war in the Third Horizon coming in the third act. Yeah, and it's clear that the players have got no way of stopping that. It doesn't matter what the players do. And neither should you. This war is coming. Well, you know, I think if it's a campaign where they are the 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 key protagonists, then there ought to be some way of of influencing these events, which. Well, you know, there the, is some the, way of
1: influencing those events, let the, me tell you that. Yeah. But war is coming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be like, you know, uh, somebody in Game of Thrones um, not letting the white wall, you know, the the wall at the top bring about or turning back winter. Uh No, war is coming. you, you got to deal with it. It will change the horizon, but you do have an impact on how it goes. Yeah. And... um how what the horizon looks like at the end. In fact, I mean, and it sh- it kind of shows the challenge of writing any campaign, because the epilogue is full of. So now this is the situation. Unless your players change that, and then it's not the situation.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yeah. So um, you know, uh, we we each make the world our own when we sit down at the table and create uh, a campaign, um, and this like any campaign, will change it. Um, uh, yeah. But your players can have an Im- impact on it. And, you know, in a way, I guess your players can have an impact and not have the war. But then you've got two-thirds of a book you haven't read. Uh, that's fine. We do that all the <laughs> time. I mean, yeah. you know, you-, you can run a campaign without reading any of these books. Um, if you're happy to do that, it's fine. Yeah. Um, The challenge then comes, and I've experienced this a little bit in L five R. My players, through not not through any great role playing on their part or any um, me being soft on them on my part, but through a through an incredibly lucky pushed um, dice roll. They're not pushed. What they call it in L five R right raises you know they put a bunch of raises on on a on a lucky shot and they got the raises (laughs) and and they killed if you like the main bad guy of the world very early on in that l5r campaign so from that point on one of the factions was effectively kind of almost entirely written out of my campaign and i had to adjust mm-hmm. pre-published material to go all oh, right well yeah that faction's yeah in a different state now um uh, and so you know you you're gonna have to do that with future stuff if you don't want your campaign to go the same way but um but i've always felt that what i love one of the things i love about coriolis is you're not the emperor of the world. Uh, you are, all of you, getting crushed by the wheel yeah. of fate, for want of a better word. Uh, you know, even when you've got... You know, faction standing doesn't doesn't really give you much political power within a faction. And even though you might consider yourselves on the side of one faction or another, generally most players don't even have faction standing. So, um, so it isn't... I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think you will, by the end of Book 3, have decided... That you have had a positive effect, yeah, on the uh, on the events of the campaign. But there there is always going to be some inevit- some things that happen inevitably. You can't be everywhere at once.
0: No, no, of course not. Um, but I, yeah, I, I guess. So I think this possibly plays into my part of the reason why I very rarely play published scenarios and material, particularly of this kind of ilk. Uh, you know, of this kind of. Um, world-spanning, world-changing um, campaign. Uh, because at the end of the ca- at the end of the three books, the, the Coriolis that we had at the beginning is totally different, completely different. You know, there's so many. You know, no, no, no spoilers, but so much would have changed that yeah. you know it's is it still Cori- the third horizon? Is, is the game still Coriolis at the end of that campaign? Um, and I, I, I love the smaller stories. You know, I, 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 you know, it's a bit like the problem that you get with most TV these days. You know, take, for example, Doctor Who or, or you know, other stuff, where the, the writers go so big on the, the, the threat or the problem or the, you know, the issue that's got to be dealt with that getting, getting a, a, uh, a threat that's bigger on the next show you know, just takes you you know, the in Doctor Who, you know, even time itself is being threatened in one of the episodes and the universe is being threatened and the doc you know it's yeah. just I mean, oh yeah, okay, fine, I get it, but you know, let's have a story where you care about the life of one person, say. Um so I, I'm I, I quite like the smaller things and then you can the the players can have a bigger impact in that smaller story than than in a in a in a big one. And I like the players to have an impact and so i guess my my initial reading when i was reading the coriolis the um, mercy of the icons part 3 thing was uh you know story 1 does this story 2 does this um but whatever you do in those two stories there's going to be war in story 3 and there's just a little bit of me that went yeah okay so the players whatever the players do in the first two parts they can't they can't prevent that happening which is fine because as you say they can't be everywhere but you are playing a campaign that is World-spanning and and universe-changing, and if you're playing that kind of campaign, you have to give your players a chance of doing something to influence it for the for the good.
1: No, oh, you're definitely so, doing things that influence it, yeah. but you're you're not stopping the war. I
0: don't no, think. No.
1: I mean, maybe you are, um, but uh, no. I guess it's like you said, if, no. if
0: if the GM wants to allow that and the players do some stuff that feels like it's powerful enough or enough impactful enough to do that, then you could choose to do that as a GM. But then that does change your third act somewhat, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And some people have done that already with the second book, where something big happens at the Mm. end of the second book. And some GMs have just said, that's not happening in my world. Yeah. My players are going to save it. Yeah. But uh, to be honest, um, uh, I gave you... It's funny, actually. I've just been going back over some of the old recordings. And I realized that I gave you the opportunity to potentially change what happens at the end and you just ignored that it was one of the factions, uh, tried to get, um, tried to get you on board with their, with their story. And you didn't, you didn't choose code with that faction. You stuck with the space Nazis and went (laughs) off to do other stuff. So, uh, (laughs) am I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm,
0: I'm working from within to gain influence and intelligence. So we know. So we know what oh. the space Nazis are up to.
1: Okay, I am going to say spoilers. So, um, fifteen seconds. Um, you know, in my adventure, I had Alarms Temple lined up with um, the Draconites.
0: Yeah.
1: In book three, they are merged with the Draconites.
0: Okay. Mm, interesting anyway that's enough
1: right for those of you who are back you can't talk about it anymore Dave yeah fair enough, fair enough we'll explore that more in play
0: yes absolutely cool so that's uh, Mercy of the Icon so that's a long bit of World of Gaming what else do we want to talk about in World of Gaming today you wanted to talk it, about has anything else happened in the World of Gaming you want to talk about Monty um, Python Oh god,
1: yeah. I want to have a bit of a rant about that, but I won't because I, you've given me such freedom to have about the mercy one. No, no, you can the have the Monty or... Python. Yeah, feel free to rant. Well, okay. So let's start off with the facts. The Monty Python uh, campaign is doing phenomenally well. Um,
0: I haven't been following it. I'm not banking really... it. I. We talked about this before. It's not. It's not for me. I think. But uh, so, how well is yeah. it doing?
1: It, we're almost at, we've got five days to go. We're at £1.4 million. Wow. Which, um, they had a $200,000 goal and they're at $1.6 million. I
0: mean, that was quite an ambitious 12, goal,
1: though, wasn't it? A $200,000. Uh, yeah, they did, but it's Bondy Python, so I guess they knew they were going to make
0: it. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um,
1: one of the things I don't like about it is there's a lot of physical stuff in this. Like you've got a fake coconut um, dice roller,
0: right? Um, kind of pointless, you know, pointless knickknacks kind of thing.
1: A bit of plastic tat, yeah. Yeah. And and so that that's kind of a little bit like my rant. You've got a whole uh, board game, which is beautifully produced, wooden. Board game of um, throwing things over the walls, throwing cows over the walls with your catapult, like they do, like the oh, fish yeah. do. Okay. Uh,
0: um, rabbits.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, wooden rabbits. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, you know, there's lots of ephemera with it. Um, there's of course a whole bunch of dice. Including some weird ones like a D fourteen and a D sixteen and a D eighteen and a D thirty, all that sort of nonsense. Um, you know, so there's a lot of plastic tat and wooden, nicely crafted wooden tat as well being created <laughs> for this. Yeah, but um, but but it's just not for me. Um, uh, I think, uh, and I worry a little bit that when when people make this they don't realize how much postage is going to cost. And then when people back it, they don't realize how much postage is going to cost. And, you know, there was a campaign a few years ago for Call of Cthulhu that, well, actually for, I think it was a murder on the Orient Express or one of the classic campaigns. Yeah. That almost sent, um, Chaosium. Well, pretty much did, frankly, bankrupt Chaosium. Yeah. And they were saved by a bunch of fans who'd made their money in more sensible jobs and uh, rescued the company. But, yeah. um, you know, when when you're producing all this all this crap for a role playing game where really all you need is a book, um, it worries me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, as I think I read Rob Wieland, um, who's a producer that I follow, a writer for a number of games. Uh, he wrote that, of course, we were all quoting uh, Monty, Monty Python, Python in our games of D&D or Cthulhu or whatever. So you shouldn't be surprised that um, people want to have a Monty Python game. But um, but no, it's not for me.
0: Yeah. So is that your primary beef with it, that it's got just too much tap coming along?
1: Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it follows on from a philosophy of I remember when uh monty cook games brought out the thing that comes in a cube what's it called it might be called black sun oh, i can't remember
0: yes I think, anyway it's yeah. a big
1: it's a big deluxe role-playing game that costs 300 quid in a cube yeah and they very much uh, sold it as this is a game for grown-ups um for, and particularly for time poor grown-ups who've got other stuff going on in their life yeah and i remember backing it thinking yeah that sounds great that sounds that's just like me and then realizing that it came with so much plastic tat that as a grown-up, my shelves are way down with plastic tat already. <laughs> yeah. I don't need any more plastic tat. And maybe no. there's a point of, between being a, a teenager and being a grown-up at some point in your 20s when you get your first space and you've got nothing to fill it with. Yeah. Maybe that's the point of what they were talking about. And they really targeted it then. So a bunch of people in their early twenties could buy that game and suddenly fill their pristine apartment with loads of plastic tat grown up plastic tat, mark you not their old Lego or anything like that. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. I think and, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so maybe it was for them, but it yeah. wasn't for me. And I no. think the same with this one. I mean, it's interesting. So for, the, the one thing that I, the, the one example that I always kind of like comes to mind when you're talking about tat that comes to the game, um, and it's an example mm-hmm. that is kind of I'm going to use for good and bad. So it was troubleshooters, and you got um, yeah. the passports that were your character sheets, yeah. And with that, you got a little credit card or like a flight, like a frequent flyer card. There, a little flight wallet with, you, yeah.
1: with
0: your, with your uh, frequent flyers and, card and, stuff and like that. I, yeah. Troubleshooters is great. Um, I. Uh, yeah, put the book on the shelf. The tat, I don't know where that's gone. So even though I think I love the idea of the passport as your character sheet, but even that felt like a bit of tat that just has to go somewhere else from the book in a drawer or something, and which actually is kind of unimportant. And it, it de- kind of mm. detracts a little bit. Even, you know, even though I like the idea and it looks great, it just gets you in the way. Like you say, you've got to find a bit of space to put it. And if you have that for more than one game, or you have a lot of it for one game, you just end up with a like a drawer full of shit, and that you never use. It just gets in the way. So I think you know I'm with you on that. You know, pointless peripherals yeah. for a role playing game are irritating and get in the way, even if they seem like a nice little sketch yeah. goal or a little idea. Um, Actually, in the in the Kickstarter, and also if it actually serves a particular purpose, because um, you know the, the 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 passports are character sheets, and it's a good idea. But where are they? I don't know. I've put them away somewhere, and I will probably never use them if and when I play troubleshooters. One thing I did like, just, yeah, just, just, and just the just beauty
1: com- of the passport motif for the character sheet is the uh, if you like the the real character sheets that are in the back of the book are designed like. Um, Temporary passports. Yeah. So uh, you know, you you have still got the passport, even if you get the PDF and fold it into four. Yeah. Um, which is what you're meant to do. Uh, so, so yeah, I quite like that passport motif. What is the point of the plastic wallet with 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 majestic hair, whatever it's got? On yeah. It? There is no
0: fucking point, no, to be honest. It just, it's just, um, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it gets in the That is probably
1: the absolute limit, because I do remember upgrading to, well, not to get that specific, I can't remember why I upgraded, but um, I upgraded to a level that that came with, and I was thinking, that is TAT, I don't really need it, but I'll accept it. That is, that is about the limit of the TAT that I will accept in my role-playing games. Um, but yeah, yeah and it, is it now?
0: It's brought... Pardon? I don't
1: know where my little plastic wallet is now. No, so.
0: I've got no idea where mine Some is. Troubleshooters. No. So, so one thing that it brought to and mind... And of course. One thing it brought to mind was... Uh, um, uh, not exactly the same, but it's a, like it's an accessory. So I got the Fallout role-playing game um, from Modiphius, which I haven't played yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I will play it, but it's lovely, and it looks really good on the shelf. But one of the things I really like about it, which a real blast of nostalgia... Is it comes with a lovely color book of character sheets, and you know, like in the good old days where you know you'd buy, you know, books of character sheets D mm. You know, I don't know, yeah. it must be about fifty character sheets here, and it it just such a blast from the past for me anyway, and such a uh, a nice thing. I'm holding it in my hands right now, and even though I haven't played the game, it just looks lovely and it feels lovely. And it's the kind of accessory that I think is a really good idea um, and is well worth it, as opposed to some of the accessories that are just a bit of peripheral tat, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And those passport characters, you know, if we ever do get to play um, a proper campaign of um, of troubleshooters, troubleshooters, we could dig those passports out and they'd be fun, yes, wouldn't they?
0: Yes, I agree, yeah.
1: Um, but we'd have to dig them out. Yeah. Uh, But part of the problem, again, is we're all playing games online nowadays.
0: Mm. Uh, You know. Yeah, so much of it is, isn't it?
1: We get together maybe four times a year, maybe six if we're really lucky to play a game. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Anyway, rant over, rant over (laughs) on that. What's the next thing on our list to rant about? Uh, Paranoia. Um,
0: Oh, bloody paranoia! (laughs) Okay, folks, today is Matt's, Matt's Rant Fest. I should, I'm just letting him have his head and, uh, and and going with it. But go on then, Paranoia.
1: So Paranoia is kickstarting again. I hardly can remember a year where Par- Paranoia hasn't been bloody kickstarted. <laughs> We've had three editions in the last few years, I'm sure. And all coming out of Mongoose, I think. Um, there was one version that you would have hated because it was card based. Then there was another version. And now there's the perfect version. I never really just... liked
0: Paranoia anyway, as I've said before. As a role, no, as a no we're not game. big Paranoia no. fans
1: here. We've, we've explained that. But God almighty, how many times can they fleece their fan base <laughs> with a new Kickstarter?
0: We were just talking about this, me and my boys, yesterday. Um, about But in the context of computer games. And talking about games mm-hmm. like FIFA. Where basically you're fleeced every year to buy a new FIFA game. That uh, you know is basically the same as the old one. With it's something... updated with
1: all the proper players. And yeah, with
0: like, some yeah. silly mechanical change just to you know kind of justify having a, a completely new one. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, it's...
1: yeah, absolutely, but not you know you don't even have you know uh, seasons of paranoia. No, <laughs> with new players <laughs>
0: in. No, exactly. No, so in, um, ah. it's not something that's come across my radar. Um, I won't be backing it. As I said, paranoia as a role playing game doesn't do for me what I want role playing games to do, which is all about getting into your character and building that character story. Having a character that just dies and gets another clone, and you know, dying in funny ways is the is the shtick of the game. Um, yeah, it doesn't 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 rock my boat. Rock my boat, float my boat. Doesn't do something to my doesn't doesn't make my boat go. So yeah. Anyway, I think I've tortured that. Yeah.
1: That, no. That. Let us move on quickly. We've spent a lot lot of time running about two games.
0: We are. This is going to be positive a short news. episode, was not it? And it's going to be a really long one again now. Anyway. Yeah. yeah carry on.
1: <laughs> so uh, I'm pleased to see that there is being started. We'll put a link in the show notes. A uh, supplement for for cyborg uh which is called gutter punks it's not one that i'm gonna back because um i haven't really even played run adventure cyborg yet but it's good to see that the Morkborg sort of spontaneous third party support is already happening Um, yes and that cyborg i think is by exalted funeral who of course um are doing the big monty python game as well so I, I wish them every success with Cyborg. Um, I wish them every success with the Monty Python game as well. But, yeah. But uh, I hope I hope that you know, getting the big money in on Monty Python and then trying to produce all that plastic tat and send it out in time isn't going to disrupt uh, getting some proper stuff out like Cyborg, which as like um, Gutterpunks, yeah. which I think is yeah. lovely to see.
0: Yeah. on that on that note <sighs> we we do have the guys from uh, Stockholm cartel coming to Dragon Meat this year. So um Oh. Johan, us talk about Dragon Christian Sala, uh and I don't remember the names of the other two. Dan Algestrad. Yep. Yeah. And uh, another
1: one. I've sorry. got an email from Anna
0: about. So it. So have I I'll um, dig him out. But um so they'll yeah, don't co- remember them. They're all coming over for for Dragon Meat. They are, I mean, they're not running a stall or anything, but they will be at the Free League stall at two o'clock on Saturday to do book signings. If anybody's interested in getting their uh, Merck Boyer material um, signed by the guys who've worked on it and produced it, then that's your chance to come along. Say hello to them. They're great. I, mean, I say they're a great bunch. I've only met Johan, but he's great. Um, I'm sure they're all lovely guys. We love Nohan. We um, love Johan. So, yeah. uh, so come along, see them two o'clock at the Free League stall. Which I'm not even. We're in the upper hall, I think, aren't we? Um, again this year. Yes. So let uh, me
1: let me let me read the blurb, the draft blurb that Yo- Yo- Johan's created. Go on. Uh, Stockholm Cartel is a creative coven collective with a thing for rules light, flavor heavy, apocalyptic games. Meet parts of the cartel with Christian Salen of Cyborg fame, Carl nibleus I better find out how to actually say that word, <laughs> uh, from Death in Space, Johan Noor from Mortborg and Cyborg, and Dan Algastrand from Games Go Here, <laughs> and get your book signed. Dan is a prolific um Uh, Layout artist, actually, and I think he's done the layout for the Swedish version of the Part Three of Mercy of the Icons. Uh, Um, Cool, uh, but he's obviously done some other stuff for these games as well. Uh, Johan doesn't know what he's done though, so there we go.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, so they will be. We're
1: looking forward to seeing them, and we're looking forward, aren't we, just to Dragon Beat generally?
0: Yeah, yeah, it should be really good. Um, So we're we're going to be there from Friday, setting up. Uh, if if any of our patrons anyone around on the Friday, let us know. We can meet up for a for a quick beer a bit later on. Um, yep, there all Saturday, and then um, clearing up, and then be back on Sunday. Uh, so it's going to be good. Uh, I always enjoy Dragon Me. It's a great, you know, nicely small, focused, cozy um, convention. It's uh, you know, it, it's all done in the same hotel. It's a great opportunity to to catch up with you know friends and uh, you know and 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 uh, yeah and other other game uh, creators it's yeah i always look forward to it it's uh it's a good one i've got so much shit to take with me this time that i'm going to have to drive which is the first time but i can't manage <laughs> it all on the underground this time um no but yeah i'm really looking forward to it should be great
1: it should be good. It should be good. And um, I, we should also give a shout out to our friend and patron, Craig, who do voodoo Ooh, on yes. the socials. Cool. Um,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: Lunar Shadow Games, because this is the first time Craig is not wandering around as a punter and maybe running some games and playing in some games. He's <laughs> yeah. actually going to be running his stall and yeah. his stall is going to be selling some of the games he's created, including the marvellous signal to noise.
0: Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so so this year Craig is gonna be is voted for not having fun and working at Dragon Meat. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. But working at Dragon I'm not Meat even getting paid is it, fun. Apart from what he sells. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Working at Dragon Meat is fun. It is fun. It is. It, oh, it's great fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm kind of hoping. Do you remember? Hang on, You know, I'm talking about Dragon yeah. Meat still, so shut up. Um yeah. do you go, remember go, go, last go, okay, year, okay, yeah. There was that um that little guy and his mates who couldn't afford to buy Coriolis, and uh, so I bought it for him. Oh, gave, gave it to him. Yeah, and he the young pro- he,
1: young man, the teenager.
0: Yeah, I guess he was what thirteen or fourteen, maybe. Um, and he like that, yeah. and he promised to come back this year and tell us about his uh, Coriolis gaming. Now I really hope he does. Got no idea what his name is. Right, I'll, yes. I'll, I'll recognise him and his mates if we see him. Um, but uh, if on the off chance that you're listening, I'm expecting a report. So come along, find us at the yeah. booth, and uh, let us know how uh, uh, yeah, how your Coriolis gaming has been going. That would be really cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and Coriolis-related, I don't think we can make any promises yet. Not Coriolis-related, Jug Meat-related. We can't make any promises yet. But I think we are aware of the fact that the Blade Runner hardback... Is in the warehouse. Yes, and therefore might make an appearance at um, at Dragon Meat. Yes, and uh, the starter set isn't yet, so yeah, uh, I, I, that
0: might not make an appearance. I, yeah, I, I, I suspect that it won't. Am I being a bit pessimistic? It's only, it's not, you know, it's less than a month now. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm fingers yeah. fingers if, crossed. I mean if people I, start
1: getting their deliveries beforehand, but yeah, exactly. I don't suppose they'll yeah. start delivering until the, the starter sets in.
0: People do need to be getting their but, um, their um their backed yeah. product before we can start selling it at Dragon Meat. We might possibly have a copy yeah. to show people, but we won't but might not be able to sell yeah, it possibly. There
1: may be a copy to show people. A bit like we yeah. did
0: with the one ring last year. Uh, where we had but I think the starter
1: but, set's really important here. I think the starter set is going to be generally the way you play Blade Runner.
0: Yes, yeah, and that'll come with all the the relevant material to the clues. And yeah, the stuff exactly. Like to make yeah. your to make your investigation full and and uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, immersive. <laughs> I almost said investigative. Sub- almost said submersive, but that wasn't the word I was looking for. Immersive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah cool yeah so looking forward to dragon me if you're right. coming if you're coming to dragon me come and find us um say hello it'd be great to see as many people as possible
1: right we're fifty minutes into the program we've got just enough time for you to talk about money in alien dave
0: yeah okay um, yeah let's get on with it shall we to quote a great poet of our age money 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 must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, 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 always sunny in the rich man's world. Aha! But in an RPG context, I'm not sure that money is either funny or sunny. Certainly, I struggle to think of many games where money either actually matters, or is managed in an effective way. That said, and in the interests of full disclosure, I will cough to a confession here. As a player, I'm quite far along on the spectrum of no fiddly money bullshit thank you to I want to count the pennies please. It depends on a couple of things. Firstly, on the scale of buying power that is required by the game. Do you need money to buy a loaf of bread to stave off starvation? Or do you need huge wadges of cash to sustain a lifestyle or pay for really expensive things? And secondly, it depends on the specific game, of course. A game like Legend of the Five Rings, or a genre like Star Wars, doesn't want or need money for the game to be a success. Despite Han Solo's avaricious attitude in Star Wars, and you even see him loading what I always assumed were boxes of cash before Luke flies off to the Battle of Yavin, the fact of money is irrelevant to the game. A game like Forbidden Lands, or Dungeons and Dragons for that matter, is about forging your place in the world. And that includes building a stronghold or a place to live in safety. For that, you need money. So here, counting the pennies and scrabbling for money and treasure is central to the game. Although you can go a wandering and exploring if you like. Then a game like Coriolis takes the Forbidden Lands approach, but places the PCs at a different place in the transaction process. You already have your stronghold or ship and have huge debt to pay off. I do enjoy the bookkeeping for Coriolis and the character behaviour it drives, but I can easily see that managing a mortgage as part of your game might not be such fun for a lot of players. As an aside, friend of the show Toby has put together a great approach to money in Coriolis based entirely on the concept of obligations and favours which fits the Coriolis genre perfectly. But there are still challenges about the scale of an obligation to meet the costs of a mortgage. So that brings us to another question. Should money be dealt with in pounds and pence, or abstracted in some way to avoid the accountancy lesson? In many cases, pounds and pence, or dollars and cents, or gold and silver coins, or whatever, is fine to manage the player's economy. Abstracting at this level would simply mean assuming that the PCs have enough for whatever basic needs they have, or don't have enough, depending on the game. But the more money your players start dealing with, the less convenient the pounds and pence methodology. But abstracting money can be really hard to do well, and if it's done badly, or for the wrong reasons, or for the wrong game, it can break the immersion for the players immersion that can come with worrying and fiddling about money. There's also a final question of do you try and do both in the same game? Pounds and pennies at one level and an abstraction when you get into the big bucks. So what about Alien? Let's start with a question. What is the purpose of money in Alien and is it important to an Alien campaign? Well, I'm tempted to say that money is such a small factor in the movies that there isn't a need to worry about it too much in a campaign. But the counter to that is that colonists and explorers are frequently looking to make a better life for themselves and their families. And some of that is surely going to be bound up in money, bound up in their standard of living and their search for better prospects for the future. Having said that, money doesn't really feature as a thing in the alien movies. Of course it's mentioned, Parker and Brett bang on about getting extra shares for checking out the signal, and then go quiet when Ash reminds them that their contract forfeits their share if they don't go and check it out. Russ Jordan thinks, We've scored big this time. And Carter J. Burke talks about being set for life but it doesn't feature other than as a background driver and motivation for the behavior of some key characters. And once it's been established, the characters stop going on about it. So a bit like the Star Wars example. Money is there, it does motivate some characters, but it's in the background and it's not a core element of the alien experience. And that's reflected in the way Freelig treated it in the core book. We are told there are several currencies. Predictably, the United America's dollar, the Three World Empires Yen, and the UPP-UN. But on the frontier, it's the Wei lend dollar that is the currency of choice, although you can get hold of Siegson bills and the so-called Binat coins, whatever they may be. I think the reality is that whenever money comes up in a game, the GM probably defaults to Wei Yu dollars, making all the other currencies perhaps just filler for the money paragraph. We are also told that a basic level of living will cost you $100 a week, blimey I wish that were really the case, and equipment and weapons have a cost in dollars listed. And that's about it. And that's probably all well and good for the staple of the Alien RPG universe, the cinematic scenario, as well as perhaps the colonial marine campaign style, where making cash is unlikely to be your PC's primary motivation blowing things away will be. But what about campaigns for everyone else? The explorers, the colonists and space truckers? Well, the first word I'm going to say is shares. Shares, 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 shares. I don't recall the word dollar ever coming up in an alien movie, although I'm sure those better acquainted with the wider canon of books and comics than I can correct me. But I think, for a lot of players, Their primary engagement with Alien is the movies, and here we talk about shares. But we still quickly run into a problem. While the use of shares is thematically correct and brings the feel of Alien to the fore, it doesn't help the player when they want to use some of that money. It would be weird to say that a pistol costs one share, and ammo is 0.1 shares per clip. Each share needs to have a dollar equivalency, which on one hand kind of takes away the need for shares at all. On the other hand though, the use of the word share invokes something of Alien in me, and at the most basic level you could just do that dollar equivalency. Pay your players in shares, but let them convert them into cash when they need that cash. So is that enough for Alien? I think for me it probably is. For an explorer or colonist campaign, your players will be scrambling over the number of shares they earn for any given mission. They would be unlikely to have to buy too much stuff. They'd probably be able to requisition specific equipment they might need for any scenario, but then have to pay for it out of their shares if it gets destroyed or damaged. In a space trucker campaign, I expect the same would apply. Ships are so staggeringly expensive. The average captain will never be rich enough to actually own one. So like Captain Yannick in Prometheus, you don't own the ship. You just fly it and collect your shares at the end of the job. No questions asked. You could have an abstracted system for alien money. And I have a few thoughts in mind about how that might work. But it would be a complicated set of rules. And we all know Free League try to avoid Le Crunch. And the occasions when players would play characters that would require a money system for big transactions are going to be so few and far between, and having a rules system to cater for this edge case feels unnecessary. And Alien, as a game, just doesn't revolve around money. Yes it's there, but the game is about horror, the wonders of the universe, and the little folks being screwed over by the corporations. It's they who have the money, not the players. So let's keep it that way. So this uh, Dave is oh shit that's not really wicket. I think only
1: half your homework. Can I, can I can I be really critical with the it's a very enjoyable read as usual. Um or listen of course. But <laughs> half of it is about other games, only half of it is about alien. Yeah. And and you've missed out
0: on half the solution. Well go on then. Um, I'm, I'm, Do you want I'm, me to tell you what the other half of the solution is? I'm open to all suggestions and proposals. So go on then. You can tell me okay. what you think. Well, let, let's rewind um, actually a bit
1: from this. Uh, what? So just some first principles what is the dream of every person in the alien universe do you think or no when i say person that's not good enough what is the dream of every player character within the alien universe if you're going to run a, a sort of campaign as we have done
0: well it, it depends on that character doesn't it there are mm. there are there are several but
1: okay give me some give me I mean, give me some possible solutions for how but i mean if i look, sit back at the end of my campaign and go, yes, I got where I want to be.
0: So if if you are um, playing a, a a Parker or Brett kind of character, then I think mm-hmm. you, know, you, know, you are you're in you it. You're the best. You're in it for the money. You're in it for the shares.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and you're prepared to, to do stuff. But what's,
1: okay, right. Let's drill down hard. on that a bit. If you're Parker and Brett, you're in it for the shares. Yeah. What are you doing with those shares?
0: You are spending them for, for parker in particular you're spending them on parties at home that's what the uh the canon around parker is is all about so he he enjoys his life right. at home going to parties so and he fun is with a hedonist yeah. yes okay good 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 what
1: about brett do we know anything about him not so much okay do we know anything about the other characters and what they're in it for because Quite apart from the alien, let's just move the alien eating them all to one side. (laughs) Um, It's a pretty shitty life already, isn't it? You're uh, stuck with this crew for what feels like, um, you know, not just the years that you spend in hypersleep or whatever, but the um, the the days when you're you're actually stuck in this tiny spaceship space with working with these people. So, what is the reward for that? Where where do we go from here if we're if we're crew?
0: That's a good question. You tell me.
1: Okay, so I will (laughs) tell you because I have an answer. Um, Yeah, we we can definitely do a Parker thing, and um, you know, and I I don't want to assume I know anything about why people do uh, oil rig work or fishing off the alaskan coast for crab or whatever yeah but you know th- th- those are if you like similar working men's uh working peoples i should say lives and you know one could project about why they do that and what they do at home and i i happen to know an alaskan crab fisherman that loves playing D D when he's home and amateur dramatics um so he may not party quite as wildly as parker does but you know obviously the you know that he spends let's assume half the year on a boat in bits and half a year having great fun, um, back home in Anchorage. Um, and similarly with oil rigs, I imagine you spend roughly half a year on the oil rig and half a year spending money doing stuff wildly. Um, but also, I feel you're working towards living a life where you don't have to do that, you know, to having a bit of your own land. And if we're talking back in the alien universe on a decent colony somewhere with, you know, a place to live with a bit of space, we see what, um, what, uh, Ripley's life is like when she's now a dock worker because she's lost her officers, permissions, licenses, whatever. And she lives in a pretty cramped, apartment in what one imagines is a pretty dreadful city and so for me I feel there must be something about wanting to have a bit of space the, the, a, a modest but still something to yearn for a home you can retire to so that's my thing so um you can either you know spend your money hedonistically like Parker or you can uh, retire somewhere and in, in a way that kind of fits in with the, oh, well, I just want to survive. I just want to get this over with yeah. and and get to my real life, whether it's you know amateur dramatics back in, at home or my envisaged um, little cottage on a prairie somewhere. Uh, so those, 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 are, those are our dreams. They're quite modest dreams, but they're about just getting through this shit and, and then spending my money elsewhere. Do we create games about those things sometimes we do i mean there's computer games about having a little bit of land isn't there Um, animal crossing's all about that so i guess that could be the future but either way they're not necessarily they're not in contrast in traveler what you're trying to do is buy your ship and have freedom and also buy equipment and effectively level up because you've got a bigger gun and so there's actual real things you want to spend your money on in Traveller, but there's nothing really in-game that you want to spend your money on in um,
0: in Alien. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's that's not an unfair comment. I think there, there probably is stuff you might want to spend your money on in Alien, but I think it's probably, in the way it's cast at the moment, a narrower range of options. So, what sort of things? Just talk a little bit, I, expand a bit on what
1: you've said about what you spend your money on. I mean, we talk about mortgages and paying your mortgage on a ship off, and you rightly point out that there's no way you're paying off a mortgage on an alien ship. I mean, it, it's part of Coriolis, it's part of um, Traveller, but I don't, I, I personally don't think it should even be part of the concept of of alien i kind of feel all the all the ships are owned by big corporations and you're you know you're your work
0: yeah pretty much i think there's an interesting actually a parallel here because i was i was thinking a little bit in some of this about um you know offshore trawler men you know you get all these programs Mm. about you know where they've got a little boat and they go out and they you know some of them own you know quite a lot of them own the boat not all of them um so, you know, so in that context there is the possibility of owning your own boat. It's a very small one and it's very specifically designed for, you know, for a certain function. In Alien, the the ships that you get in Alien, although you can obviously design your own, tend to be quite big <clears throat> and expensive. And so yeah, you're right. It feels to me in Alien that somebody you know, owning your own ship is gonna be way out of your price range you know for, for for your average person yeah i I, um, I think
1: so and you i'll take your point about a smaller ship doing smaller jobs uh, that that these might exist but even then i feel that's kind of uh, i'm i'm working the the big fuck off interstellar ships so that i can do you know some orbital work Yeah. Um, in my retirement that that's my instead of the cottage on the on the prairie you know that's what i want a little ship to do some poncing about between the moon and back or whatever yeah yeah um But you don't want to, you know, I don't feel um, so in, say, Firefly, for example, the concept of owning a ship is and and in loads of role playing games, the concept of owning a ship is kind of analogous to freedom. You can go anywhere in your own ship. But actually, what Alien shows us is ships that aren't free, where you're effectively imprisoned in these dreadful, dripping environments all the time for long periods of time no, nobody would really want to be flitting you or well, you can't flit around the universe in alien whatever whatever fudge we make of the uh, fast and light drive you know you spend a lot of time on board a ship in bloody bed sleeping it yeah. off because it's that boring so for me you know a player that comes into the alien universe saying, "Oh now I'm gonna own my own ship and I'm gonna be free no, you're not you're putting yourself in your own little prison. don't be stupid man yeah um so so we've got this problem I think in a in a way i mean yeah i I sort of um there are things as you say you can buy in game you could definitely buy better guns and stuff like that and make yourself.
0: Yeah, there's there's doing, definitely but, gear um, and stuff you could buy, and I think in a colonist campaign as well, you might aspire to own your own tractor or something. So you might be saving up your shares, you know, to buy. Yeah, a, that, a, that could a, be good. A, an eight by eight, or just you know, if you've got one already, just to repair it, or you might want to buy yourself um, a pups system, which is exceedingly expensive. Um, so I think there is things like that in there, but I totally get. I think you know, you're absolutely right. The difference between firefly traveler on the one hand and alien on the other is i think alien feels probably more realistic in that prospect of your blue collar worker um yeah you know, and it feels less like there's that there, that there, even if you did own your own ship there's fewer places to go that you'd want to go because a lot of the colonies yes. yeah, seem yeah. to be pretty grungy pretty horrible pretty industrial <laughs> we, and mechanistic i've
1: never seen a paradise planet in any of the I, know, I haven't read all the novels or anything like that, No, but there no, tends no. to be many really nice places. <laughs> it
0: doesn't, um, no. Or sure.
1: places where there aren't aliens, it turns
0: out. Sure, there must be, but it, um, yeah, it doesn't seem, that it all seems very dark and very, as you say, dripping, wet, and creepy. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it to me, anyway, as a potential player, I, I don't want to jump in a ship and go and, you know, trade between all these places because they're all pretty horrible. There's not somewhere yeah. where you to, you, what you might have is someone who wants to go, you know, in an explorer campaign. I want to go beyond the frontier and explore other planets. Now you're unlikely to do that in your little trawler, because, you know, it, it wouldn't survive mm. the trip. You, more, you know, and what I said in the in the in the piece, you're more likely to be the employee of some very wealthy either, you know, individual or corporation who has got you exploring for a particular purpose. And, you know, they, they've got you looking for something. Or even if it is just exploitable resources to make them even more money. Um, but actually, you're likely to be going to some pretty yes. grim places. You're not going to to find yourself going from one paradise to another.
1: No, no. And effectively, that what that means is everybody's an indentured worker, effectively. Yeah. And your, your object of the game, I feel, is to... Freedom is a great concept that we can still have. Freedom isn't buying your own ship, though. Freedom is getting out of this life whatsoever. And yeah. if this game and, and the fiction of the universe only shows you the grotty places, then at least you could have a dream of a place that's slightly less grotty, where there aren't any xenomorphs, where you could retire to, for want of a better word, and get out of the corporate rat run. I yeah. feel... You know, this isn't a game. We were talking a bit about um, player agency and whether you can stop a war. I don't think Alien is, and and one day I'm going to be CEO of this corporation. Um, I don't think that's an objective, but let's just check that with you.
0: I think some characters might. I think if you're playing a corporate stooge, then if you're playing Carter Burke, then you may well be aspiring to be on the board of the corporation one day. Yeah. whether it's realistic or not is another matter entirely. But I think if you're playing that kind of character, yeah. then Carter Burke obviously wasn't the kind of character who was sitting on Nostromo dragging lots of ore around the universe. Um, you know, He only, no, went, he only no. went on the mission because he wanted to oversee what was going on and make sure that that he got what he wanted out of it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so there's a character... Or was, he? Could,
1: or was he on the mission? Because somebody who's really going to make the money out of this operation... Put him there,
0: possibly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I guess in Burke's head, you know, did he head,
1: piss somebody off, and that's why he's on the bloody ship
0: there. Well, I reckon. I suspect uh, he was. You know. So in 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 the film, they 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 realised that Burke gave the order, or you know, gave the coordinates for Jordan to go and check it out. Basically, sent them to their doom. Um, but I suspect almost certainly he would have needed some top cover in the corporation somewhere. And there's somebody in the corporation much more powerful than him who's basically dangled promotion in front of him um, yeah. to take this forward. But then he takes the blame because his name is on the, the communication that told them to go and check the spaceship out. So if that comes out, he's the one who yeah. gets done for it. He's the one who goes out with the Marines to see what's going on. So if something goes wrong, he's the one who gets killed. Um, but there's somebody else, you know, back on Earth who's just drawn a red line underneath. You know, Project Burke, yeah. LV four twenty six. Um, um, pity I didn't work out. Oh well, move on to the next project. But as that is, but as a player playing Burke, your dream would probably be to be in the shoes as a character, you know, as a character so, in that situation, You're in the shoes of the guy that you are, you are, you are reporting to. That would be your girl. So this
1: is. Yeah, this comes back to the shares thing, you know, you save your shares, you either, you know, you spend your shares at the end of the campaign on, um, you know, rising up through the corporation, or retiring and, you know, having a little bit of land, or even even a little ship that you do your orbital work around, whatever whatever your dream is, your shares go towards that dream, Yeah. and I think they're definitely not buying your own ship, but that's by the by, unless it's... Little orbital craft. So, what I feel you've missed out on here, to accompany shares, shares are the thing you just want to accumulate. Ideally, you don't want to spend shares on stuff.
0: Nif and yeah.
1: Yeah. You might get threatened with losing your shares if you don't do stuff and things like that, or, you know, having to give, um, pay more of it, you know, actually take less of a share from a mission because you know, to do it the way you want or stuff like that. There may be a, a bit of meta-trading in shares. But actually, you're right. There's, um, There's got to be a lower currency, as it were, for doing the trading. And particularly when there's a feeling in here that, you know, coffee, well, not just coffee, but water and air may well cost you. Even while you're working for your shares on your ship, you're paying for the air and oxygen and water that you use potentially. Um, but to me, that feels that therefore is, they shouldn't be using dollars, as you quite rightly say. They never talk about dollars. There should be a sort of company script thing so that, you know, when you're working and the stuff you buy things with generally is a script uh, that isn't a national, you know, you're you want to have a currency that, you know, makes you more part of the organization you're in so that the shares offer you freedom from out with that organization. Am I making myself clear here?
0: Yes. And I think you're right. I think you're right. The, the the thing, the thing I've, I've, I've not covered is the kind of how many shares do you need to buy yourself out of this life approach? Yes. Um, and which, I think you know this an in which interesting case, thing there about how in which how, case that might change the dynamic of how you would calculate that. So
1: yeah, you see I think I think that could be almost a mechanical thing where you go okay, what sort of campaign do we want to run? Do we want to run a campaign that um is relatively short in which case you only need x shares uh, to end the campaign. And the the one when one player gets X shares and, and gets their life of freedom or more than one player, whatever, gets X shares and, and lives their life of freedom, then we finish the campaign, we start a fresh one, or we go back to Forbidden Lands or whatever. Although um, I think there's there a... no no, we want to run a really long campaign, we're meeting every week, we've got loads of stuff to play, right? Well, okay, then it's X times ten shares.
0: And so I think there is a thing here about for, you know, for the likes of people like Parker and and Brett. You know, how many shares do they need to be able to get out of that that job? And probably the number of shares they need to get out of it would require them thirty years of doing that job to get out, because the corporation is going to want to keep them working. Um, yeah. So it's not something that is necessarily achievable in a short space of time, unless there is a. Yeah, I could take the example uh, without too many details of of the campaign that we that I've written for for the next supplement. There is, there are circumstances there that might justify a a very generous share offer, which might be enough in that you know you go through that campaign, that might be enough to get you to to a low level perhaps of of your your dream, well you know your your retirement dream. Um, but I think there's definitely something there actually, so I, I will have a think about that. That's a good point. Um. And it also, uh, so, I'm just so having clever. another
1: point. Uh, this,
0: Yeah, go on.
1: Okay, so this one uh, is only just coming. It's not a thing I thought of before. I it was a script I was thinking of before. But um, so, you know, there is a currency that you use to, to buy your stuff. But all the time, you really want to earn shares. What shares could be, actually, are points on a D66, or no, actually make it D666 dice roll so at the end of any scenario you total up your shares you roll i'm going with the 666 because you know it's a d6 game it could be percentile dice or whatever but in in this game you roll um 66 a 3d6 and if you get under your total of shares then you get to retire your character and build a new one, maybe with some extra points on creation or something like that. So, you know, um, Mm. after, after the first adventure, you have one share, you've got to get one out of 600. No, it's not. You can't. What is it? So
0: 111 is the lowest you can get on D66, D666.
1: Yes. Yeah so, actually, you, yeah, so you're going to need 112. But then may be a dice roll thing.
0: You're going to need 112 every, shares before you even even start thinking about it.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> There's yeah. your 30 years of work. Yeah. <laughs> um but that could be a thing. That could be a thing that you that that gives yeah, players something to aim for to recreate what their um what their yeah. ambition would be. Yeah, and in a game like this, where actually it's survival, you know, aiming for enough shares to get out of the game is actually maybe
0: maybe a good good thing to aim for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. No, I like that idea. I'll have to think about that.
1: Right, that's all the ideas I've had. Um, No, cool. So you've got you've got some money rules in um in in uh better worlds coming up.
0: Is that right? Uh, well, I mean, there's there's uh, the use of shares again. So I've taken in that uh, mm. there's a a very very light touch kind of approach to it. This conversation is actually making me think a little bit. I could add another paragraph and add a little bit extra to it. Um, Ooh, your word count, mate. I know, I know. I've, I've kind of given up worrying about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, so because I did. There's a couple of things that I'd that the playtesting made clear so i added another couple of paragraphs which was another couple of hundred words so i'm being honest i'm i'm right, totally yeah. i'm totaling the word counter so we've got a we've got a uh, a spreadsheet so i'm not hiding anything from the guys obviously um yeah but i don't think they've had a chance to look at any of it yet so it's uh, it's it's still cool. you know good for me to make amendments and it, I know, it will be for a while because i want to play test all of the scenarios and um there will be there will be amendments that will come in as a result of the play tests for sure. There always is. Uh, Brilliant. But yeah, Brilliant. well, that sounds good. Great. Stuff. But that's that's a really interesting food food for thought on that one. I, I yeah, good, well done, thank you. Cool.
1: I thought I'd push back on that one. I thought you might like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool.
1: Anyway, um, we now you to- did mention earlier that you wanted to talk a little bit about our past weekend when we should have been recording this episode.
0: Yeah. We are so low. I think we should leave that till next time. Shall we? Okay, yeah. then we a, are Because there's, um, there's a couple of comments there, but oh, no, they they um, aren't they aren't perishable. They will last for two weeks. So. Oh,
1: they they will mature like a fine wine. <laughs> oh, Hopefully. indeed, the blue cheese that I took to that the weekend we, that, we that we didn't, didn't eat.
0: even eat. Yeah, but yeah, we're an hour and a half in now, okay. so I think we probably ought to call it quits for this week.
1: So um, next weekend or next episode, then we will talk about uh, the games we played uh, on our uh, gaming retreat. And just for reference, they include Tales of the Old West and Forbidden Lands, and
0: some other stuff. Five, Um,
1: yeah, and a couple of board games, which we'll also mention. But that's not the purpose of this podcast. No, no,
0: Um,
1: cool. We'll also. We'll also see if we can get Ricard and Troyer to come.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, yep. Uh, actually, am I might. Is it? It's Antroyer, isn't it? Yes. T? Ricard,
0: Ricard and Troyer. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm just. i just find myself sometimes putting a K in there. I know. I don't noticed know that. I anyway.
0: Thought you're an idiot.
1: Uh, yeah, but you just ignored it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I've only just heard. Well, I've corrected you so many times um, over the
0: years, and you just don't listen to me. So. Uh, but Yeah. yeah. Fair oh, yeah.
1: We can talk about correcting me when I mispronounce a name, can't
0: we? <laughs> next
1: week, next time.
0: <laughs> yes, we can.
1: Um, cool. And uh, and something else. We had another idea as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The other thing we feel we're overdue is another look at the free league workshop. Yes. So, yeah. Probably all three things won't happen next time, but some of them will, and then the other one will happen after that. Well, we can, probably
0: yeah. indeed. Cool, good stuff. Right then, Um, I think that's enough from us for one week. So, uh, yeah, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And seeing we haven't got any interviewees this week, uh, may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to the Effect podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.